Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. Moving right along through the 2023 college football season, uh, the final Saturday in September, just days away, uh, as I record slightly after 2 p.m. Central on Wednesday, September 27th. You know, as college football fans, uh, speaking for myself anyway, and I think many of you as well, we wait forever for the season to actually begin. And then once it starts, it just moves so very quickly. Hello again, everyone. I'm Paul Stone. This is episode 122 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. This week's version titled, Identifying a Well-Bred Dog. You know, through my 30 years plus of seriously handicapping uh, college football, it's been my observation that most betters, whether you're talking about so-called professionals or uh, novices alike, most betters are almost predisposed to bet the favorite. Certainly not all betters, but again, most in my opinion. I like to say personally, and you've heard me say it often if you listen to this podcast fairly regularly, I bet numbers not teams. So my process, when properly implemented, doesn't have a uh, built-in bias towards the favorite or the underdog, for that matter. Thus, you know, I I think that's part of the reason I end up with a nice balance of favorites and underdogs in my betting portfolio. And I would say, you know, having said that, I, I think I've probably bet more underdogs than favorites, you know, over the course of the last seven or eight years. You know, I'm using, when when I uh, come to that final decision to to make a bet, as part of my process, I've used my own personally crafted power ratings as a starting point, you know, for my ultimate sides. So I'm betting numbers, not teams. But most bettors, again, in my opinion, do the opposite. They bet teams, not not numbers. You know, it's probably not even a conscious behavior on their part. But betters, you've probably heard this story before, these lines before. Sometimes when betters are asked who they bet this week, they'll start reeling off teams without attaching a number. Uh, To me, this is maddening. You know, you you take a a team at a certain number. You know, for instance, a, a game where it really made a difference this past weekend, Sunday at Circa, the uh, Syracuse Army game opened Syracuse minus 14. So I took Army plus 14 within probably not even minutes, probably within seconds of the number hitting the board, 11 a.m. Pacific, a Sunday a week ago, took Army plus 14. Money showed on Army. The line got as low as 12, 
and I think it closed at 13, as fate would have it, Syracuse won the game by 13. So some people, at least a few people like myself, who bet early in the week and took Army plus 14, uh, got the money. From an Army perspective, if you took Army plus 12 later in the week, it was a loser. And then for many people, uh, regardless of who you took, Army or Syracuse, you perhaps got a push at the closing number of 13. So you've got to attach a number to the team. You know, the number is very important. It's just not about what team you take. You know, I, I like to look at, uh, again, going over, as I just did with that uh, Army-Syracuse game, you know, you go over the course of a game's betting life. In college football, for instance, from Sunday, six days before the game, until kickoff Saturday, Team A might have opened at plus four and closed at plus two and a half. And if the number remained, you know, only within that range, the better could have bet either of the participating teams at four different numbers. You know, if you're following my drift, four, three and a half, three, two and a half. And then a short number, when you're talking about a number relatively close to pick them, say within four points either way, there's a lot of value in that example in taking a team uh, at one number and then, on the other hand, no value taking that same team at another number, a less favorable number, if you will. Uh, But I perhaps digress ever so slightly. But in my mind, again, to the original point, most bettors are drawn or attracted to betting the favorite because they're the favorite. They're the superior team. Uh, Oftentimes, it's, it's quite clear on paper. And since most bettors are not utilizing pie ratings or some other, you know, similar technique, even if they don't have numbers on a computer or numbers written down on sheets of paper or whatever, if they're not using some similar technique to determine the optimal point spread in their mind, they are at least primarily or at least partially betting teams and not numbers. You know, I want to emphasize that some bettors, uh, if they have some special acumen, you know, they can certainly hypothetically bet solely or largely favorites and be a long-term winner. But I think most bettors would be better suited to concentrate on and train themselves to identify a well-bred dog, an underdog which possesses some value. You know, these bettors' weekly portfolio likely suffers from what I call favorite overload. And they would be well-served in the long run to learn to identify live underdogs. Not just taking any old dog just to have an underdog or two on your short list or on your sheet, but a well-bred dog, one that represents value over a large sample size of games. So I'm going to pass on a few ideas here uh, for you to perhaps continue uh, or to consider rather uh, in your quest to identify a well-bred dog, as is the case with uh, many of my approaches to identifying sides. You know, this is going to be more a case of betting against the favorite rather than betting on the underdog. Doesn't really make any difference. Uh, It all comes out even in the wash, so to speak. But more often than not, 
uh, Paul Stone myself, I'm betting against teams when I bet a side uh, more so than I'm betting on a team, if that makes sense. So without further ado, uh, here's a few of my thoughts uh, on today's uh, topic. You know, number one, uh, first of all, I'm going to start this out with a uh, slight disclaimer. I'm not a huge trends guy, but I certainly don't totally ignore them. You know, I believe some trends, betting trends, offer a piece of a handicapping puzzle, certainly not the entire puzzle, but again, a piece of it. You know, one angle to utilize is to identify a favorite which doesn't perform well historically in the role of favorite, especially if it's a double-digit number. You know, some teams clearly have trouble bearing the burden of being the favorite. So in these cases, when you identify teams through point spread, information's available throughout the Internet. If you do searches, you can find uh, information, uh, different sources that have point spread logs that are free to the user and so forth. So in these cases, when you find a team that has difficulty covering the point spread as a favorite, might be a good uh, point there again to examine the underdog. Number two, uh, this one kind of goes without saying, but if a team has performed historically well as an underdog, then take a look at those teams that they're getting points. You know, just one example uh, that, that came to the, the top of my uh, mind when I was putting this podcast together was the Kansas State uh, Wildcats. Their current co coach, uh, Chris Kleiman, and their former coach, uh, Bill Snyder, both exceptional coaches in the role of underdog. The last 10 years plus as a betting underdog, 38-20 and 20 against the spread, Kansas State. Certain upper echelon teams, the sports true blood uh, blue bloods, you know, they rarely are cast as the underdog, first of all. But when they are, you know, some of those schools certainly ratchet up their focus when they're getting points. Again, th these are rare instances, but Ohio State, they've been an underdog twice over the last 10 years plus. They've covered both times. Alabama. They've been an underdog once the last 10 years plus. They covered that game. So when really good teams, and you can examine the teams that you elect to, but when really good teams, top teams, again, not just a, a team that wins you know, 60% of their games, but I'm talking higher level than that. These teams are not often the underdog, but when they are, uh, they quite often, more often than not, get the money. You know, number three, another statistical component uh, to consider when performing your handicapping analysis is the offensive prowess of the favored team. You know, how many points does the favorite average versus similar opponents as this week's opponent? What's their average yards per play? And certainly plays per game. How many plays do they average a game? The slower a team's tempo the fewer opportunities for scoring. You know, if you identify a favorite who is methodical and lacks uh, game-breaking playmakers, that might spell an opportunity to take their opponent getting points. You know, looking at a, a, a team that's, uh, you know, kind of the uh, poster child these days for uh, not much offense, <laughs> the Big Ten's Iowa Hawkeyes. 
Uh, you look at their last six instances when they're laying between 10 and 14 points. I put this, you know, within certain parameters, but Iowa laying between 10 and 14 points the last six times they've been in that situation, only one in five against the spread, and you're probably not surprised. Number four. I like to sometimes play what I call desperate underdogs, teams who still have something to play for within the given season, but they have their backs firmly planted against the wall. You know, such teams uh, who are down to their last figurative breath, if you will, they will often respond with a high degree of what I call collective team psyche. They will bring the kitchen sink in their efforts to salvage the season. And that particular uh, point leads me to this week's complimentary selection in an SEC West rivalry, uh, a game being played at a neutral site this Saturday in Arlington, Texas, an old Southwest Conference uh, rivalry pitting Texas A&M and Arkansas. So in this uh, Arkansas-Texas A&M game Saturday there in Arlington, Texas A&M currently a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Arkansas. First of all, one of the Razorbacks' top players, running back Raheem Rocket Sanders, he's participated in practice this week, could play Saturday against the Aggies after missing Arkansas's last three games. If Sanders was available, this would be huge for the Razorbacks' chances. Uh, He rushed for more than 1,400 yards last year, was a second-team All-SEC selection. Not only one of the, the you know better running backs in the entire Southeastern Conference, but one of the better running backs in all of college football. I've got a you know just a gut feeling that he's going to try to play, and if he's able to go and be anywhere near a hundred percent, his availability would be huge again for the Razorbacks' chances. In any event, Arkansas is a desperate football team. Uh, it's looking to avoid its third straight loss. Needs a win over the Aggies as well to avoid an 0-2 start in SEC play. Uh, their quarterback, uh, Razorback uh, quarterback K.J. Jefferson last week, he had a really good game overall, but he did throw two interceptions in the 34-31 loss at LSU. So I think that probably got in his crawl a little bit. I think he's going to be looking to make amends for those two interceptions. I like the fact also that he's become more involved in the running game for the Razorbacks. Uh, He's been credited with 13 or more carries in each of the last three games for Arkansas. So I think that's a plus. The Razorbacks need playmakers on offense. And uh, Jefferson certainly uh, is a big body, and he can run the football. So he uh, adds a dimension to that offense. And then certainly I like the fact that fourth-year Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman, he has thrived uh, in the role of underdog again in his fourth season. Pittman now 13-6 and six against the spread uh, as the uh, betting underdog after last week's cover there in Baton Rouge. Uh, for Texas A&M, uh, their quarterback this week and probably for the rest of the season will be left-hander Max Johnson, the son of former NFL quarterback Brad Johnson. Johnson actually took over uh, last week against Auburn following the ankle injury to starter Connor Wegman. Learned today that Wegman likely out for the year. Uh, Very unfortunate for that young man. Johnson, though, has played a lot of college football, started his career at LSU. I don't really see 
a lot of people wouldn't agree with me, but I don't think there's really any drop-off between Max Johnson and Carter Wegman. Johnson's a very talented quarterback. But again, I'm taking the more desperate team, which is Arkansas, the more desperate team getting points, looking to avoid its third straight loss. Take Arkansas plus six and a half over Texas A&M Saturday. So I'm going to go now to uh, another technique that I employ when trying to identify a uh, live underdog here. And this one could fall under the heading lazy handicapping if not used uh, judiciously. So be selective when applying this technique. But I like to sometimes closely examine the underdog if the favorite is in a legitimate sandwich spot. So I talked about this game earlier. Uh, but last week's Army-Syracuse contest uh, was such a situation. You know, and again, in this game, a handicapper, there's a little bit of an extra layer here, if you will. A handicapper would have to have a feel for the proper number uh, to eventually get the number, uh, to get the money, rather, in this particular contest. First of all, as far as the sandwich, Syracuse was off a road victory at a Big Ten member, that being Purdue. So anytime you go on the road, if you're Syracuse and you're playing in a Big Ten team, that's a big game. Now they play Army, and then after Army, a three-game stretch against ACC powers, Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State, uh, waiting on deck, if you will, in that order after the Army game. So I really love the spot for Army. Actually made Syracuse an 11-point favorite over Army. So when the number opened at 14 on Sunday, September 17th there at Circa in downtown Las Vegas, I quickly took Army plus 14. I took Army plus 14 because I believed uh, that the the market would take the uh, cadets and that there was little chance that the number was ever going to be any higher than 14, uh, if you will. And as fate would have it, you know, the number uh, later in the week um, dropped as low as 12. It closed at 13 at most shops. And uh, Syracuse ultimately wins the game by 13 points, 29 to 16. So persons who had a feel for the likely uh, line movement in the game and took plus 14 on Army got the money. A lot of betters certainly pushed at 13, regardless of uh, which team they took. And then some others uh, certainly won or lost, laying or getting 12 points. You know, maybe not the the best example to use for a sandwich spot uh, since some person's uh, betting late in the week, you know, whether that was out of convenience or the fact that your local doesn't post lines until Friday afternoon. Some of those people might have lost actually backing Army. And that's a painful lesson, you know, since it's a double double whammy when a would-be winner turns into a gotta-pay-the-man loser. Um, but just another reason to expand your sports betting horizons uh, and perhaps say goodbye to your local, you know, if he doesn't put up numbers, um, you know, either Sunday or, or Monday at the absolute latest. You're just really battling um, an uphill battle if you wait till the end of the week uh, to place your bets. going to go to a, another technique that I like to use, and this is fading a favorite who's missing a key offensive lineman or two. You know, I know the offensive line is oftentimes uh, ignored. You know, they don't get their names called unless uh, they jump, 
you know, and it's an illegal procedure. So unless they're committing a penalty, oftentimes uh, their names and their presence is not really uh, talked about a whole lot. These absences, when you have an offensive lineman out, no matter if they're an all-conference type player, these types of absences are typically not going to impact the betting line in any fashion. But I've always contended, you know, that an injury to a left tackle or a center or any veteran starter on the offensive line can cause the favorite team's offense to miss, spit, and sputter. You know, injuries at the skill positions, certainly for handicappers, uh, are easier to track. But if you do your legwork and you're able to accurately, you know, chronicle offensive line injuries, I believe it can be uh, largely to your advantage. You know, for, for whatever it's worth, this week, uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers of the ACC, they have suffered some attrition uh, this season on its offensive line. Uh, their starting right tackle, uh, Matt uh, Gonzalez, uh, he was a second team ACC selection a year ago, a multi year starter. He is now out for the year due to injury. Starting center, Jake Cradell, he's a multi year starter approximately 40 career starts. He missed last week's contest versus North Carolina. Uncertain whether he'll go this week against Virginia Tech. And then another projected starting offensive lineman, uh, left guard Ryan Jacoby. Uh, He tore an ACL in summer camp. He's out for the year. So there's three guys who are going to start and probably won't play again this week against Virginia Tech. On top of that, they're starting quarterback, uh, Phil Jacobic. He, uh, Likely going to, uh, or at least possibly going to miss Saturday's game at Virginia Tech. I think he's probably not going to play. So they're really um, battling some injuries there. Um, They probably didn't have a a great offense to begin with, and now they're operating shorthanded. So you might look at, uh, you know, Pittsburgh uh, in a number of ways. But, you know, that's just information only. Use it as you wish, and uh, good luck with it. You know, I also like to look at a team moving on here with a solid veteran quarterback who isn't turnover prone. So if you've got a team that's an underdog and they've got a veteran quarterback or a talented quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, that's a good situation. I mean, if you if you've got if you've got the edge of quarterback or are at least likely to, you know, come out even at that critical quarterback position and perhaps split or win the turnover battle, then that underdog might be worth a play. You know, there's a game this week that might be worth a look um, utilizing this technique, and that's the Notre Dame at Duke game. You know, Duke has a quality dual-threat quarterback in Riley Leonard, hasn't thrown an interception all season. They have played an easy schedule. I want to point that out. But uh, Leonard hasn't thrown an interception all season. I don't believe he's even lost a fumble. Um, all year. He's an NFL prospect. He's at least equal to Notre Dame's Sam Hartman. Uh, NFL scouts, though, and myself would rank uh, Leonard higher than Hartman. Anyway, Notre Dame currently favored by five and a half at Duke uh, at most stores. A few sixes have popped up, though, including uh, there at the Westgate in Las Vegas. Uh, that as of midday today on Wednesday, September 27th. If you like Duke, you know, I'd probably uh, hold my water uh, and wait for a six. 
if the number you know moves the other way, moves against you, four and a half's not a whole lot different than five and a half in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, you know, keep that in uh, in mind as well. Now for a quick plug for my service, Paul Stone Sports. I'm off eight straight legitimate winning seasons against the spread as monitored by the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. I did a shade under 56% against the spread over the previous eight seasons, spanning almost 950 premium selections. So far this year, hitting 57% against the spread, uh, monitored again by the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City and the 57% uh, mark coming after last weekend's 5-2 and two ATS showing. If interested in any of my offerings, please visit paulstonesports.org. Again, that's paulstonesports.org. Well, I appreciate you listening this week. Again, I know many of you listen uh, each and every week or most weeks. Some of you might be first-time listeners or have not listened uh, other than sporadically, but I appreciate your attendance and attention this week. Hopefully you have gleaned something from the podcast. Hope everybody has a big weekend in college football this weekend. Until next time, signing off once again, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 